Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SACS's Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher, and I'm an associate professor in the College of Education at Clemson University. I'm also your host for this program. Today, I'm very pleased to have Larissa Jenkins at Clemson University and Janelle Acosta at Florida State University as our guests to talk about Eleanor Burgess's play, The Niceties. Just as a heads up, there are likely some spoilers in here. So if you want to read the play first and then listen to the podcast, this might be a good time to step away. But for now, welcome to Larissa and Janelle. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having us. Thank you. All right. So this is the part where I build rapport, you know, with the guests since um, sometimes I don't know people. I know the two of you. So hopefully we already have a little pre-existing rapport. Um, but I would like us to be on good terms as we start our conversation today. I don't know why we, I'd be on bad terms with you, but just in case, we'll do this before we get to our topic. So I'd like to ask you a few questions so that our audience can get to know you just a little bit better. So let's just start with the standard. Tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you got into the roles that you currently have. Larissa, you're about to finish school for now. Um, just as a note to our listeners, Larissa is about to finish school now. You're going to want to hire her after this episode. So if you need to get in touch with her, let me know. Um, just keep that in mind. So hire Larissa. Larissa, <laughs> I, with that set up, <laughs> Wonderful. here's your chance. Here's your big chance. Um, would you mind starting and just telling us a little bit about your journey um, into grad school and what roles you currently play in student affairs. Sure, of course. Thank you for that wonderful <laughs> introduction, Michelle. I appreciate that. But yeah, when I was in undergrad, I was actually the one who was convinced that she was done with school. Um, not going to do that anymore <laughs> um, because my undergraduate major was uh, quite a lot um, being a biology major. So kind of just wanting to leave that. And I was like, I'm just going to work in student affairs without a master's degree. And the job search said, no, you're not. So um, I had a wonderful mentor. Um, might be jumping ahead a little bit. Sorry, Michelle, but um, a wonderful mentor from App State, one of our um, housing head of housing directors, um, Dr. Shannon Jordan, she kind of sat me down and was like, you have no reason to not go to grad school, so you're going. And I was like, oh, okay, sure, sounds great. So she actually helped me with all my applications and um, resumes and everything like that, which was amazing. So I give a lot of credit to her um, for allowing me to get to Clemson. And then currently at Clemson, um, I serve as the graduate assistant of multicultural programs in the Gantt Multicultural Center. So I do a lot of work planning the heritage months that you might see on Clemson's campus right now. Um, during the time of this recording, we're in Black History Month. So working with a lot of those events and then also um, advising multicultural student orgs. So it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. I love Gantt um, and I've really enjoyed the program so far. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Janelle, how about you? Tell us your story. Yeah, so I originally went to college. Uh, my major was in communication and I wanted to go into broadcasting. Um, I was pretty set on that until I was introduced to the world of student affairs. I was really involved as an undergraduate student and, you know, did all the things, went to all the events, you know, spent more time in the office of student involvement than probably anywhere else. And that just kind of made me realize how much I loved being in college. And that's my goal. I'm pretty sure I want to be in college for the rest of my life. And you know, graduating from undergrad, going into the student affairs program at Clemson was such a great experience for me. 
And it was during a lot of my classes um, that I took in the Clemson program that I kind of realized I love being in the classroom and I love engaging in dialogue um, with my peers and with my professors. And that led me to pursue my um, doctoral degree at Florida State University. You just can't get enough. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you both very much. Um, so, you know, we're more than just the jobs that we have or the school work that we're doing. So Janelle, can you talk a little bit about hobbies and interests or activities you like outside of work? And then if you also have a favorite quote and maybe things you're currently watching or reading or listening to so we can get to know you even a little bit better. Yes. So outside of school. Um, I really enjoy running. My hobbies aren't the most fascinating, but I'm an avid runner. So anytime I could, you know, get a run in throughout my day, I'm in a much better mood. Um, I also really like reading. I like reading fiction books and novels a lot. Um, it's kind of weird, but I love the feeling of being scared. So anything that's like a thriller, mystery, um, anything scary, I really like to read. I'm on this like Stephen King binge right now. So that's what I'm currently reading. Um, my dog wants to leave. That's okay. <laughs> we will allow that. Larissa, why don't you, if you'd mind, just go ahead and pick up. We'll come back to Janelle after her pup is attended to. Yes, absolutely. So for me, outside of school and work, I actually love video games, um, something that I feel like is kind of uncommon um, <laughs> for women, for sure. At least they, that's what they want us to believe. So okay. love playing video games. Um, and so I do that a lot. Um, I also love basketball, watching it, playing it. I don't have another adjective for that, but <laughs> all of the things with basketball. So um, I'm most likely watching basketball um, if you if you are wondering what I do <laughs> after school and work is over. Um, and then in terms of quotes, I'm not really a quote girl, but since we are here in wonderful Black History Month, um, while we're recording this, I had to, had to give a quote um, from Dr. Mae Jemison. And she said, never be limited by other people's limited imaginations. And I really just love that quote. Because um, I feel like, especially as women and also as a person of color for myself, there's always so many limitations kind of put on us um, just existing in the world. So I think that's just one that I think about quite often. That's beautiful. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Janelle, back to you. Now that the boss has um, been attended to, yes. I have a dog too, totally <laughs> the boss of me, so no worries at all. Um, but a little bit more. So running, reading, mm -hmm. and oh, Stephen King, you like to be scared. That's where we left off. Yes, I enjoy um, feeling scared. And I'm currently exploring new ways to make coffee. Um, I love drinking coffee and I've kind of, you know, graduated from like regular drip coffee to pour over, you know, coffee in the fancy little coffee cone to like measuring the coffee beans. Um, I'm super into like French press coffee now. So yeah, I would say that, that is my current obsession um, is finding new ways to make coffee. Um, and as far as the quote goes, I am a big quote gal. I love quotes and my favorite quote probably changes every every week or so but um, I'm taking a qual methods course this semester and in one of our readings the author included this quote by T.S. Eliot which I probably think about more than I should and the quote is um, we shall 
we shall not cease from exploration and at the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Mm, that's awesome. All right. Well, thank you both very much. I really appreciate that. Um, okay, so one more question before we kind of get to the topic at hand. We always say that the field of student affairs is a small one. Would each of you please share someone in student affairs and Larissa, if it's, you know, the person that kind of got you here, that's okay. You can revisit that. Um, but someone who's been instrumental in your experience. It can be a mentor, supervisor, peer, colleague, faculty member, student, whoever it might be. But I just think it might be interesting for people to hear who your, some of your people are and um, just sort of see, is there a connection there? Um, is there maybe some institutional connection to kind of build this universe this tiny universe of student affairs. So um, whoever wants to go first, if you, if you would be willing to share someone, that would be great. Yeah, sure, I can go ahead. Um, I think I kind of want to highlight um, some students and friends and peers here. Um, kind of want to think outside the box for this one, but I was able to go to um, Stars College back in 2018, and we had a really great cohort come out of that, um, and that's through a OI and kind of like a housing experience for um, future grad students in that. So we had a great cohort come out of that, and I'm still super close with all of them. So um, just to name one in particular, um, one of my friends, Markel Harris, he was also at CU Guard during my guards he actually ended up going to um, Texas Christian University um, down there and he loves it and I think he's one who's so in, like really instrumental to me because he will FaceTime me every Friday we'll have talks about what's going on with the job search what's going on in our grad program and I think that's just a relationship that has stayed all the way from stars guards and everything else that we've been doing together so um, I really appreciate him for that and look forward to uh, keeping him as a colleague as we move forward into our full-time positions. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Janelle, how about you? So for me, probably the most influential person throughout my whole student affairs journey was my first mentor I've, I ever had um, when I was an undergrad. Her name is Derica Pinder. And at the time, I didn't realize, but it was probably, I'm pretty sure it was like her first well, real job out of her master's program. Um, and so I was one of the first students that she got to work with one-on-one. -on -one. And I, I didn't know, I mean, to me, it was like, she had so much experience. She was so wonderful working with students um, and just looking at her and realizing like, wow, she has her life together. Like she's doing this job. She's so nice. She just really allowed me um, to be myself. And she was the person that really introduced me to student affairs. Um, you know, she was like, Janelle, you realize that this is like my job. I get paid to have one-on-ones with you and to go to your events and to support you within your program. Um, so yes, yeah, Derica Pinder, she is probably the most influential mentor I've had to date. That's awesome. I just, this is actually the first um, episode I'm recording where I ask that question. Um, I'm gonna keep asking it because you answered it really well. So, see, so you could have just broken it and I'd have to come up with something else, but no, I think that's great. I think that we, we have people who make a difference and just taking a moment every once in a while to acknowledge that it's good for them, but I think it's good for us to, to know, I've got people on my side. So, cause we all have those days where it's like, seriously, what else? So, 
Thank you both. I really appreciate it. Um, okay, so let's get to the topic at hand. You both work with students, but in different ways. Um, and you talked a little bit about your journeys into your current roles. So we're going to talk about this play, which deals with a relationship or at least some exchanges between a student and a faculty member. I know you both read the play um, for class because I told you to, so that's good. <laughs> um, but I also know, Janelle, when you were in the class last year, you actually talked to Larissa about the play and gave her bonus homework and made her read it in advance. So talk to me, what was the catalyst for that? What was it that you're reading this and you're like, Larissa, seriously, you've got to check this out. What, how did that unfold? Um, yeah, so Larissa is one of my closest friends and we worked together during my time at Clemson in the Multicultural Center. So, you know, naturally we would just talk about a lot of the issues that the play touched on, you know, race, gender, ageism, um, you know, and both being women of color in higher ed. And we would just kind of talk about our experience. Um, and selfishly, I really wanted someone to talk to, um, to talk about the play with, you know? So I remember coming in and I was like, we shared the same office, which is crazy to think that there was a time pre-COVID where three oh, people were in the office together. Um, but I remember I came to Larissa and I was like, Larissa, you have to read this play, you know? And I figured I'm like, you're probably gonna read it anyways next year for Michelle's class. So you might as well read it now and we can talk about it. And I think you're really gonna like it. Um, so yeah, I really just wanted someone to talk to about the play. And so, Larissa, totally putting you on the spot, why'd you do that? Didn't you have enough homework already? You know? So, so what was it that sort of drew you into, other than obviously your friendship with Janelle? So, yeah, you know, I like to say you have to study a lot in a friendship with Janelle. You know, you got to kind of study for your conversation <laughs> daily. So, this was not the first time she sent me a link or threw a book at me and said, read this, we'll talk about it tomorrow. So yeah, I agree with that homework statement. I love that. Um, but yeah, like I think similar to what Janelle said, we did have a lot of conversations about our own identities um, in the Gantt Center and kind of working with students that might have similar identities to us and something that I feel like this play is um, like, in, it really is a good example of something that an undergrad student might go through, um, especially the students that might come into the center and talk to me about um, like, for example, I had black students coming to the center to talk to me about um, interactions that they've had with their white professors that was um, difficult for them and trying to understand that from my perspective and bring what I've learned at App State into that, but then also being able to see it from a different perspective at, you know, a fictional school was really interesting as well. So I think just the way, of course, Janelle described it to me and what they were learning about in class kind of um, made me want to dive deeper into it. Yeah. And it's pretty manageable. I mean, it's not super long, so you can you can get through it pretty quickly. Would one of you mind, and again, listeners, I gave you this warning before, but we're going to talk about what happened in the play now. So if you don't want to know, seriously, go read it, come back in an hour after you've read it, and then listen to the rest of this. But would one of you mind kind of giving just an overview, a, a summary of what you've talked about who's in the play, but kind of what the play's about and, and what unfolds over the course of the two acts. Sure. <laughs> um, since we just read it for Michelle's wonderful class, I feel like I should be <laughs> the one to talk about it since I've just recently uh, read it again a couple of times. So I think for me, the way I saw it um, was that uh, a 
young black student Zoe, she goes to her professor named Janine to kind of get some advice on her paper that she's writing um, in their history class. And um, at first it kind of starts as a normal exchange. You would see kind of just Janine correcting um, Zoe's work and kind of giving some advice regarding the actual writing of the paper. Um, and then it kind of gets deeper and um, Janine kind of goes into some issues that she sees within Zoe's um, writing and argument as a whole. Um, and so they kind of go back and forth a lot <laughs> in the play, um, sometimes in a very like contentious way and then sometimes also very casually. So it's very interesting to analyze um, their behavior in that way as well. Um, but overall, it's basically revealed that Zoe was recording the conversation that she was having with her professor um, and kind of trying to bring up some of the problematic things that um, her professor said and also things that have gone throughout the entire class. She was keeping a whole journal and book of all of the notes that happened throughout the class um, that she had been speaking with other students of color about with um, some of the problematic aspects that came up. So, and then towards the end in the second act, I really did appreciate this part of the play that they kind of um, tried to reach a resolution with um, Zoe releasing the recording to the public and Janine not really knowing what to do about that. And they tried to reach a resolution in that way. And then also try to um, make some change on the campus. So I think that that was really interesting to listen to um, the ideas that Zoe had, the ideas that Janine had and how those kind of clashed once again <laughs> on how to um, get those ideas um, put into practice. But yeah, I don't know if that's a good summary, but. <laughs> yeah, that's great, that's great. Um, Janelle, I'll shift to you in case there's anything that you wanna to add to the summary, but also to sort of transition to the next question about were there specific it might be lines from the play, it might be moments or part of a scene. Is there something that really stuck with you in addition to anything that you wanna to add to um, Loris's excellent summary so far? Yes, I think for me, the one of the things that kind of stood out the most to me was an icona, I kind of call this like the generational divide between Janine and Zoe, especially in act one. Um, there was a lot of ageism that was happening and, you know, Janine didn't try to hide it or sugarcoat it, you know, sugarcoat how she felt about, you know, Zoe's generation, um, specifically towards the end of act one, um, Janine says after Zoe's kind of, you know, being critical of the education system, um, and how, we talk about, you know, slavery in terms of American history and kind of what that means to her as a woman of color. Um, and Janine says, it's easy at your age to be cynical about education. It is. And then continues to say your whole generation, you have this, your whole generation, you have this cult of fragility with your trigger warnings and your safe spaces. And I think that really struck me that a, a faculty member would say that to a student. Um, I mean, of course, this is a play, but I I could see instances where professors, you know, may or may not think that and just like how there is that divide between different generations of students. Um, and a lot of things kind of get left unsaid in that regard. So yeah, that's probably what struck me the most about this play. Great. Larissa, what about you? Yeah, I think something that I kind of just noticed when rereading the play, like I said, for Michelle's class this semester, um, I think I noticed a lot about how the author like 
kind of the playwright kind of chose to reveal each of um, the women's like specific social identities. So for example, I feel like I, I didn't realize at first that Zoe and Janine didn't know a lot about each other. I think they knew about each other in a way on paper, but um, like, for example, I think Janine at one point talks about um, Zoe's socioeconomic status. Of course, Janine's um, sexuality and sexual orientation is revealed. Um, and then also Zoe's issues with um, anxiety and depression or supposed issues that um, Janine sees um, throughout that. So I think that was really interesting kind of how those were revealed in kind of uh, like the heat of the heat of the moment, like argument, if that makes sense, and not just them talking about each other and talking to each other and being open about those. So that's something I've noticed when recently reading it again. Yeah, it's their, their familiarity with each other is very superficial. And then it sort of tries to go deep quickly, but then still there are assumptions being made that may or may not be somebody's truth, but that's being kind of put out there. I, one, of my, um, my, one of my favorite parts of this, and I'm gonna go ahead and just read, it's not very long, is in the very beginning um, when they're describing, when um, Burgess is describing the characters and kind of setting the stage, and she writes, both of these women can be noble. Both of them can be charming. Both of them can be petulant, snotty, arrogant, overwhelmed, and immature. Let them be both people and resist the temptation to think of only one of them as the mouthpiece for truth. When it comes to the facts of history, almost everything that both of the women in this play say is right. And then she goes on a little bit. But I, um, I don't think I've ever seen something set up in that way. I'm sure there are probably other things out there, but I appreciated that so much because it, I didn't even know what was going to happen. Right. But it sort of put me in this place of be patient, be understanding and listen. Um, and the fact that they're both complex and complicated, it just made it that much more rich to me than if, there's a good guy and a bad guy or a good gal and bad gal. It's, it's, I got frustrated with each of them at different times. And I sided with each of them at different times. Um, I think it's really hard not to favor one over the other. I, I, I don't, I won't speak for all readers, but I think that there were kind of moments where I'm like, you should have known better than to do that. And, and specifically with Janine. You know, and to your point, what you all were talking about earlier about some of the things that were said, it's like, wow, that, and I can totally believe some of the things that were said. I, those would not have to be made up. If you told me that really happened, I'd be disappointed, but I think some of those things are said and for it to be surfaced in this way, um, I just thought it was really powerful. So, um, okay. Uh, so I have you read this for contemporary college student, right? And, um, I put it in there and, and just so you know, Janelle, last year it was an option this year, everyone is reading it and wrote a short paper on it. So, um, in my mind, obviously I think it fits mm -hmm. otherwise I wouldn't assign it, but I'm interested in your take and does it fit? Does it make sense in our conversation about whether it's college students or higher education more generally? And if so, kind of how do you see it fitting? How does it make sense? And if not, 
what parts of it um, kind of push away from so that it doesn't fit. Did my question make sense? I feel like I kind of rambled there. No, yeah, it definitely makes sense. Okay. Um, I think it does absolutely fit. I think for me, I kind of see it as use something I would use maybe in a student advising role if I'm just like starting out to um, maybe advise a group of students or one-on-one -on -one advising with students, kind of thinking through some of the ways that, um, some of the things that Zoe said as a college student might come up in those one-to-one -one interactions. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think also it helps both practitioners and or faculty members kind of realize or think about how they may come across to students. You know, we kind of talk a lot about, you know, intent versus impact, right? Like what, what you intend to do versus what the impact you have on, on a person or in this case, the student. And in the beginning of the play, um, when they're describing, you know, Janine's mahogany desk and there's high walls of books, you know, overwhelming amount of books, and there's images from the revolutionary movements with George Washington and Nelson Mandela, and, you know, how the positionality, like the physical positionality of Janine, she's sitting behind this desk, um, and Zoe sitting across from her in a folding chair. And just these, you know, this appearance and kind of the imagery of that, I think is really powerful and it allows both practitioners and faculty members to, to kind of question, are there being, are they being relatable to their students? You know, is their physical space a space that is welcoming students, a, a space that is representative of all students? Um, and I think that's really important. You know, I think I just remember being an undergrad and being really intimidated to like walk into a faculty member's office hours and, you know, talk to a, you know, dean of students or to a program coordinator. Um, and I think that if we as folks in higher ed make, make ourselves relatable in that way and just kind of acknowledge how students may feel walking into our space, um, then I think we can definitely begin to build better rapport with our students and support them in a way that they need to be supported. And to let them know, like, you know, you can come to me and I will listen and we may not agree all the time, um, but but I'm here for you and I, I want, want to be here for you. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that because this is, there's as much, if not more, for student affairs professionals and faculty to learn from this as there is for students. I think, um, and I, I feel like you all sort of referenced this earlier, there are probably moments in this play that a lot of students are like, it wasn't exactly like that, but something sort of like that happened to me. Whereas faculty and staff, I think it's very easy to make assumptions about, of course I'm approachable. You know, of course students can yeah. talk to me if they want to. Um, but even to your point, uh, sort of Janelle describing the space, mm -hmm. you know, desk, a desk means something, you know, yeah. it, or the type of chair or what's on the walls. And I think we can forget about that sometimes, what it means to actually physically enter mm -hmm. someone else's territory, you know, and, and where's the um, 
inequity or, or the imbalance in those moments. So great. Um, so this is fairly new. I think it was published in 2018. When you think down the road, and this is such a ridiculous question because think back a year ago, you know, who would have guessed <laughs> we would be here in one year? So I acknowledge that up front. But do you think that this work will kind of hold up over time? Is it written in a way that it will still be relevant? Are there still going to be points of connection, you know, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road? Um, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, immediately I say yes, absolutely. I think so. Um, I think especially with in this in, in this context of what the play was talking about, kind of being um, Zoe being a student of color and like a predominantly white institution, I feel like that will never end, if that makes sense, um, unless wonderfully predominantly white institutions um, begin recruiting a lot more um, students of color and students from diverse identities. But I think that will always be important. Um, something that might be useful is being able to reach out to those students of color and ask them how they could best be supported um, during the time that they are being advised or working with faculty and student affairs professionals as well. And then of course, I think about everything that's going on in the world, kind of like Michelle mentioned um, a lot with um, racial and social injustice and everything going on with that. I don't really foresee that ending anytime soon. I don't wanna be pessimistic at all, but you know, has been a long time coming. So I think it will be always relevant due to the fact just what's happening in the world and what's going on outside of the university environment as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it will be relevant 10, 20, 30 years from now, um, unless institutions as a whole make a conscious effort to contribute to anti-racist work and to provide trainings, you know, for faculty, staff members, specifically white faculty and staff members. Um, there is this quote by Zoe in Act Two, um, where she's telling Janine, you know, in the beginning of Act Two, they describe the location and, and it says that, you know, the the portrait of George Washington was removed, you know, so Janine probably took that from her office and, you know, is, is learning a little bit of where Zoe's coming from and learning about, you know, her own privilege as a white educated woman. Um, but then after all that, Zoe said, you know, you can't be the least bad person in a lineup and call yourself good. And I think a lot of the times institutions kind of hide behind the, you know, oh, well, we have a diversity committee or, you know, we have X number, you know, of students of color and, and all this, but is that really, you know, working towards building an anti-racist an anti curriculum and environment for all students? Um, so I think there definitely has to be more of that conscious effort um, that we're not necessarily seeing right now, given everything that's happening. So to sum up, hopefully this will be totally irrelevant. However, yes, it's <laughs> still going to be relevant for a little while. Okay. Yeah. Are there any other things from the play, whether it's a theme or a moment or anything else that um, that you want to touch on or that that really resonated with you? And it's okay if there aren't. I, I know we hit on several things, but. I think the only thing that I've um, found 
interesting again um reading the play again for michelle's class is i think it's towards the end of the play where um they're trying to find some resolutions on how to um how to do better on the campus in terms of working with students of color and any other students with diverse identities and i think they start to talk about um zoe's talking about bringing in all these students of color and increasing um rates for diverse students and Janina's talking about how the issue like stands with the public school system which i thought was interesting how she like brings that up basically saying that um if they're not ready to come to the university environment that's kind of the fault of the public education system so in a way i i feel like i have uh, two sides of um agreement and disagreement in my mind with that um because in a way it's like why not give them a chance if that makes sense like why not allow them the opportunity um to come to the university environment if they believe they can which most of them i'm sure they can but then also the fact that the public school system isn't the best so it's just kind of interesting for me i think i was like caught by that and kind of thought about that for a couple of days after i read it again mm -hmm. great you good janelle for me one one thing that i i thought about after reading the play was the use of technology um, because Zoe does record her conversations with Janine, you know, as proof that they had this interaction and that these things were said to her. And I don't know, I just, I wonder how that influences or impacts, you know, um, faculty members or staff members or even, you know, folks in positions of power at these institutions, knowing that, you know, there is technology and students can record what they say and, you know, that they are going to be held accountable now, you know, or a little bit more than maybe before. Um, so yeah, that just that just really, you know, stood out to me. And, and I just wonder how the use of technology um, is going to kind of continue to, to influence and impact higher ed. Um, and if that kind of, I don't know, like if that influences at all how students and staff interact with one another. Mm -hmm. Right, because she, obviously she has the capability to record it, yeah. but then the ability to distribute it yeah. widely and instantaneously, um, mm -hmm. which if I remember right, that's how the first scene ends is, mm -hmm. I just sent this out, so yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, good. Okay. Um, anything else that I should have asked you, but I didn't ask about the book? I don't think so. People hardly ever say yes to that. So I, <laughs> I want to make sure I'm covering all my bases. So imagine saying yes uh, to that. <laughs> um, okay. So thank you very much for this conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, is there anything else you want to share about? things you're working on or, you know, events that are coming up, you know, Larissa, you alluded to this, you're like kind of smiling, like every night, Michelle, there's an event every night. So, but <laughs> if there's anything that, you know, you're like, Hey, yeah, I would like to kind of celebrate this or share this. And if not, that's also okay. Well, I will say we will be in women's celebration month. I believe when this, um, recording is let out. So um, yeah, definitely check that out. That will be going on at Clemson University. And I do not have a website for you, so I'm sorry, but you can check out <laughs> the Multicultural Center um, website and there should be some information about that. 
Excellent. And that's Gant, G-A-N-T-T. Yep. Beautiful. I will just ask for positive vibes as I finish my second semester. That is all. <laughs> you can double those for the job search. Yes. <laughs> all right. So I just want to do a quick repeat. So the name of the play is The Niceties. And the author is Eleanor Burgess. And her last name is B-U-R-G-E-S-S. -S. So... I think if I'm understanding it right, and just the fact that you all agreed to have this conversation, mm -hmm. we have three thumbs up on this play. Is that accurate? Is that captured? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so thank you again. I really kind of can't thank you enough for taking time because I know um, life is not unbusy at this point. Um, before we go, as we wrap up, just as an, in an effort to kind of leave things on a, a high note and um, a note of hope, would you be willing to share, each of you be willing to share a couple of things, two or three things that are bringing you joy right now? So can be work-related, but certainly could be home, life, family, dog, coffee, whatever <laughs> it is. What, what, what's some stuff that brightens your day right now? Yes. Yeah, so speaking of coffee, Michelle, I invested in a milk frother <laughs> that has changed my life. I no longer buy coffee. I make all my coffee at home and I look forward to waking up every morning and making my coffee and frothing my milk, frothing my milk. Yeah. Um, and on a more serious note, uh, one of the things that's bringing me joy right now, other than my coffee, is my sister recently had her third baby, um, baby Noah, who was actually born on Inauguration Day. So oh I'm like, God. not a bad day to be born, right? Um, so yeah, I just, I met him for the first time last week and, you know, to think that there was ever a time when we were like that tiny um, is wild. And, you know, every time I'm, I'm feeling a little pessimistic or not as hopeful as I probably, you know, should be about the future. I just spend time with my, with my nephews and my niece. And I remember that, you know, the future is bright. So, yeah. That is wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. How about you, Larissa? Yes. And I can confirm Noah is adorable and honestly, <laughs> yes, blessed to be born on inauguration day. Cause I was like, if your sister has this baby any day before inauguration day, I'm like, trying to send the best vibes to this child for coming into the world like this. So I'm very glad <laughs> we're on inauguration day. So yeah, that's like super exciting. Um, I think for me, I know y'all talked about dogs a little bit. I've never had any pets uh, in my life. So that has been very sad. So I am hopeful and excited to hopefully get a dog when I graduate. So that is something I am super looking forward to. And of course the job is coming first. So um, as we started in the beginning, hire me, that'd be great. Um, so I can get a dog, but yeah, so super excited for that. If y'all have dog breed recommendations, tips, whatever, let me know. Cause like I said, I know literally nothing. I just know I love dogs. Um, so yeah. And then I think something else that's super exciting. My family's actually coming to visit me this weekend. So that is super exciting. They've never seen Clemson, which is kind of hilarious. Um, so I'm going to show them the campus and show them around. And then of course, spend some time with them since I'm not really able to leave during the busyness of <laughs> this month right now. So yeah, super excited for those two things going forward. Well, that's great. Um, I definitely have some very strong dog opinions. I will follow up with you later. So. <laughs> Thank you. 
All right. Well, again, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me today. I know there's a lot of turmoil in the world right now. We're figuring it out a day at a time, a step at a time. But the fact that you're willing and able to spend some time right now does mean a lot. Um, I hope you're both doing all right. You seem to be in fairly good spirits. Keep that going. So thank you again. I really appreciate it, Janelle and Marissa. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. I wish you both the best. Um, oh, and my script says, now get back to your homework. So, <laughs> there's always that. Yes. Um, okay, so today's Essay Today podcast is brought to you by SAXA, and we thank them for their support. Additionally, this show would not be possible without producer Erica Lee. So much gratitude to you, Erica. A quote for you today um, as we wrap up from Christina Isabel. Remember, if you are not speaking it, you are storing it and it gets heavy. My name is Michelle Botcher and it's been a pleasure to host this episode. Thank you both again and have a beautiful day.